From the Arizona Daily Star and Tucson.com, this is the Wildcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Wildcast podcast, the first pregame podcast of the season. I'm Justin Spears here with Michael Lev and new sports editor, Brett Farah. Last year when we did these No, no, no. New, new Wildcast co-host is the, oh, most, yes. the more important thing. Yes. No, it's just for today. But I care about that more than the other part of the job. So well, that I'm here with you guys. Hope you're ready for the show. Ready. <laughs> uh, with that, that Will Ferrell line from whatever TV show or movie it is. Um, but no, we're going to have a lot of fun on this podcast. We're going to preview nothing, nothing but Pac-12 football. Uh, we're going to talk Arizona football and the season opener coming up on Saturday against Northern Arizona. Uh, we'll have a full breakdown here in just a minute and then also give our game prediction at the end, which uh, will follow up our Pac-12 Pick'ems, the first ever Pac-12 Pick'ems of the 2023 season, which is uh, very important because, well, quite frankly, it's the last season of the Pac-12 as we know it, right? So the Pac-12 picks this, this season are going to be we're gonna have wild. To, we're going to have to rebrand it next year. The Big 12 Pick'ems doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way, so uh, we'll, we'll workshop that one. Big 12 one. Big Picks. I'll say Big 12 Bets, but we're not actually betting anything. We're just kind of just talking about it. 12. Never mind. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> we're rolling here. Yes. I, I'm just going to have fun with this for the next 30 minutes. Well, guys, we got football on Saturday at yes, Arizona Stadium. Uh, it's the first time Arizona will play a football game since they won the Territorial Cup in 2022, uh, beating ASU and finishing the season 5-7. and seven. What did Arizona and company do in the offseason? Well, they got big, especially on defense. Uh, up front on the defensive line, they added five guys through the transfer portal, also added two linebackers in Justin Flo and Daniel Haimuli, um, who are battling for that uh, middle linebacker spot alongside Jacob Manu. And I looked at the updated weights of all the guys from the transfer portal on the defensive line in Arizona. When you combine their weights, it's uh, 1,475 pounds which uh, I know Jetfish said that collectively Arizona gained as a team 900-and-something pounds, which is one saltwater crocodile. But if you look at the defensive line that they added, it is one moose. So the Wildcats added one moose to their defensive line, and they're pretty damn big, I will say. Um, Lev, you've been at training camp. You've seen these guys. Uh, same with you, Brett. What do you think about just Arizona on, on defense and how they can – really complement the offense and get things going in year three. Yeah, it's clearly that was the focal point uh, of the offseason um, personnel project. How can we get bigger and better and deeper in that front six? It's really, it's really a front six for them. They uh, they play five defensive backs uh, pretty much all the time, sometimes more than five, so it's not the front seven um, as we've come to know. Uh, but yeah, uh, I like the blend that they have up there of veterans, uh, you know, these guys that brought in from the portal and the young guys that they brought along last season, maybe guys that they played sooner than they really wanted to because they had to. Um, but, you know, now they have some valuable experience under their belt, but they don't necessarily have to come in here and play 80 snaps this season and put up huge production. They can still continue on their development track because they have Tyler Manoa and they have Bill Norton uh, and they have um, Taylor Upshaw and all these new guys who can lead from the front, you know, uh, literally. So um, I, I like the blend. We'll see how they do. It's hard to tell during training camp about line play because – you know, their contact is limited. 
these yeah. days. They really try to, to, to limit the amount of tackling uh, that goes on. So, you know, plays are blown dead as soon as you kind of approach someone. They call it the what, thud. Yeah. You know, you just sort of bump into someone and they move on to the next play. So um, we'll see how that part of it goes. I'm not sure we'll really learn that that much uh, against NAU this week. I think we'll learn a lot more against Mississippi State in week two. But it is certainly kind of the focal point, I think, coming into this season. How much better can the defense get? And Arizona's got NAU on Saturday. And I believe there are only seven players on the current roster. Nine. Nine players yeah. on, the, on the current roster who, who played part of the, that yeah. 2021 game. You know, it, we've, we talked about this kind of early on in the podcast briefly. But what do you remember about that night, Lev, when Arizona lost to NAU a couple of years ago. Cause to me, I always tell people this and to me, that's worse than the territorial cup loss 70 to seven losing by 63 points on national TV. Listen, I get that, you know, it's, it's NAU. I mean, your team is one 11. The cupboards are empty, right? I mean, Kevin Sumlin didn't really leave Jed fish much to work with, but I mean, regardless of, of how much is left in the kitchen, you don't lose to NAU. You don't lose to the your in-state counterpart that you haven't lost to since the Great Depression, literally, in 1932, which you said sent Arizona football fans into a Great Depression. So that was just a a bad night. Uh, to me, it felt like, all right, the, the honeymoon phase is kind of over with with Jed Fish. I mean, he had a lot of buzz and opened up the door to uh, alumni and had a lot of positive things going. They, of course, had a very promising season opener against BYU in Las Vegas. So... It appeared that, okay, maybe, you know, things could go in the right direction, even if they go winless in Pac-12 play. Okay, they're going to start off the season 0-2 against BYU and San Diego State, but they're going to get that game against NAU to snap the losing streak, and they didn't do it. And Jet Fish and even Brendan Carroll, the offensive coordinator, said, like, that night was a reminder to them that, man, they have a long way to go, and they need to pretty much learn how to win. Yeah, I, I'm going to give my opinion on whether it was worse than the uh, the Territorial Cup game and then let Brett chime in on that because we, we differ on that one. I think the Territorial Cup 70-7 to uh, game was worse. That was the true low point um, of the program. It was utterly humiliating and embarrassing. Um, I mean, it's one thing to lose a game. It's another thing to just completely not show up, yeah. you know, um, and there was just no effort, no fire, no fight, um, just – fumbles, interceptions, kickoff return touchdowns. I mean, it was just a complete and utter mess at the end of a weird um, fanless season. It was like IMG Bishop Sycamore. It kind of, gosh, it it kind of was. I mean, you know, not quite, but it felt that way in terms of the competitiveness uh, of the game. Um, With NAU, I just remember shock. Like, how could this possibly happen? Um, But it showed where they were. I mean, it sort of helped in a way to, it was like a wake up call. Like, Hey, we really need to turn this thing over and turn this thing around. And as I think Jed used this term, like they tore it down to the studs because they had to. And, and now they're in a totally different place. I, I'm going to annoy you guys probably all season with this sort of glass half full approach that I always had. So back, you know, Justin and I have a relationship for many years when we, when I worked at U of A and Justin was a student coming through the ranks. And so he worked at the radio station there, which I did 20 something years ago. And I had a radio show and I was always known as the person who always talked about winnable games and what Arizona's (laughs) record could be and all this sort of mumbo jumbo that means nothing. But the reality is I think both the games you're talking about 
while low points in definition, I agree with Lev and I do agree at the 77 being lower. They're the best things that could have happened to the program. Because if Arizona comes out and plays hard in that ASU game and maybe even wins, God forbid, I don't think they would have, but who knows? Do we somehow get another year of Kevin Sumlin in Tucson? I don't think so. I think there's no way that would have happened. But to me, to get to the point of get breaking it down to the studs like like Michael just shared about what Jed Fish said, I think you had to have that NAU loss. If you go in and let's say they beat BYU, lost by eight points that first game. Let's say they beat BYU, who went 10-3 and three that year, by the way. Yeah. They beat BYU and then lose to San Diego State, another good team, then beat NAU, and you're two and one. You're thinking things are okay. You're, oh, okay, we're going to go five and seven. We'll go four and eight. That's an upgrade from the previous year of you know going winless in the in the pandemic season. So to me, not trying to be glass half full, but they're the best things that could have happened in the program. They were horrible in the moment for fans and for the players and for the team, but but I, I think for this program, they were absolutely necessary. One other thing, not to go backward, when you guys were talking about the defensive line and the and that six pack, so to speak, we hear all this talk about Colorado rebuilding, and yes, in a very short period of time under under Deion Sanders. But really, this is what Arizona's been doing for two years. Colorado's done it in one, yeah. But Arizona's done it in two. It's the same thing. I mean, to have this type of roster rebuild in such a short period of time. So I, I think that goes unnoticed, even though we talk about the newcomers. I think that goes unnoticed. That to the point you made of what you said, the number was nine players left from that twenty twenty one game. That's not a lot at all on a roster of what? In a two-year turnaround. In a two-year turnaround. So, yes, yeah. we're, Coach Prime's getting this credit for this one-year total total yeah. re- roster reflip, but two years is not is not slow in its own right no. for the same thing. Well, credit, it, credit or blame? Well, <laughs> either way, depending who you are and where you're now having to suit up. Well, I mean, and it makes you wonder, like, okay, the transfer portal doesn't exist, right? Because in the old days, you transfer, you had to sit out of here. So you don't get Jaden Delora. You can't get Jacob Cowing. Like, they used the transfer portal additions on offense to pitch to guys that are in the transfer portal on defense to come to Arizona because, hey, when you come to U of A, we're going to be putting up 31 points per game. It's not going to be kind of a, a Iowa situation when they're winning games 10-9. to 9. That's, what, that's what Jed Fish's message was to recruits in the portal. And it, it was it's a perfect – like it's it's chess not checkers, right? You just you go you go in year one or as they call it, year zero because you didn't really have much time to to operate. You take your licks, which they did. Uh, they went one and eleven, and then year one. You win an Iowa game ten to three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Against Cal, yeah. Cal, who was depleted by COVID nineteen. Um, but then the next year, you're like, okay, in order to get the right defensive players, we need to give them an offense that they can work with, and they did that. They got Jaden Delora. Jacob Cowing, they added, you know, players like T Mac and Jonas Savianea uh, from the high school ranks. But man, it makes you wonder if the transfer portal wasn't available, how different would the vibe be right now with this Arizona football program? Because yeah, like no. getting those guys up front of the defensive line, you're not getting 330 pounders no. out of high school that are in shape and ready the way yeah. Bill Norton and Tyler Minow are. Yeah, there's no question that the portal has changed things in terms of how quickly you can rebuild. Yet at the same time, you know, Jedfish hasn't wavered. You know, like he's he's still kind of on that, you know, pitching that idea of the slow, steady build, right? Like he has never put out there any sort of uh, expectations for how many games they're going to win in a given season or what the timeline is. You know, he's always just like, we're going to be the toughest out in the league. We're going to build this thing. We're going to keep recruiting. And that's really, that's how you do it. You know, you stack the recruiting classes on top of one another. You develop your young 
players. You find good young talent like Jonas Savanea, like Raymond Polito, yeah. another one who's going to start right off the bat. And you supplement that with tra- transfer portal acquisitions. The difference with Colorado is they turned over the entire roster in one year. They, the NCAA lifted the cap on how many initials you can have, right? Initial means like how many people you can bring in in a given class. So once that cap was removed, that was the green light for them to just, I mean, they, I think they have 50, I think 50 transfer portal acquisitions, I believe was the final number. And I think I out of like 70 something leave the program. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like it's just wild. So in a sport like football, and we, and we will talk about a little bit more about Colorado during our Pickham's uh, segment in a sport like football, where chemistry and teamwork are so important. Can you pull that off? in one year's time and have it all come together. Yeah. That's the that's the kind of the great mystery of the of the experiment going on up at Boulder. So when you look at uh, both sides of the ball for Arizona on Saturday, offense and defense, what are some things that you guys are looking forward to most? Uh, me, I am uh, on offense, I'm looking to see if Arizona can capitalize in the red zone. I know that's one thing that they've been really trying to emphasize on, but also, at the same time, you know you're going to dominate the red zone when you're up against NEU because at that point, you could just run the hell out of the football and just dominate the Lumberjacks. Oh, we're not going to get a theoretically, good gauge. Theoretically. Yeah, but I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't feel like we're going to get a good gauge on where Arizona is at red zone-wise, or as Jetfish calls the red area, on offense and defense until that game next week against Mississippi State on the road. That's going to be the real, real test there. But... I think just offense, um, I'm really curious how the offensive line is going to come out and look with, especially Raymond Polito. Um, I mean, he's he's big. <laughs> he's 6'6", 330 pounds. He's just a monstrous offensive lineman. And uh, I think he's going to be kind of on that Jonas Savianea trajectory where he comes in and starts all 12 games at right guard. And then you got Jordan Morgan at left tackle, who's going to be you know coming back from his ACL injury. Uh, first time in, I think, 294 days he's played a football game. Uh, well, I mean, once Jordan Morgan's gone, then Raymond Polito will likely be the guy that slides over to left tackle, I think. Um, and then on defense, I'm wondering, um, with the, the, the new clock situation in the NCAA, how defensive linemen and certain players are going to kind of shuttle in and out. Uh, I know Johnny Nansen said that, he wants to get... Well, doesn't it just depend how fast the offenses are yes, moving, basically? Yes. Yeah. So it, it depends on the, the, the flow of the, the game yeah. or the drive. Yeah, um, he said, too, any incomplete pass, yeah. you can sub on defense. So, you know, force some incomplete passes. You yeah. can sub as much as you want. And then we'll see eight or nine defensive linemen get rotated in and out. Um, and that's one thing that Johnny Nansen said he was going to do last year, but, you know, we it's kind of all coach speak, right? We hear these coaches say certain things i mean heck the previous two regimes said that they were going to use tight ends and they didn't um so i mean when johnny nansen came in and said yeah i like to rotate a lot of guys and they didn't really do that at first or in the in the year one of you know under his direction you're like ah is he actually a man of his word is he actually going to start rotating guys well now they have the guys they have the players who were kind of growing up last season as true freshmen and then with the veterans like you said that that blend of old and, and young it's a, it brings a, a lot of depth to Arizona's defensive line. And we've seen it in training camp practices and also scrimmages. Johnny Nansen's not kidding. He is actually rotating these guys. How many guys get on the field in the first half, I'm curious to figure out. I'm really curious to see, and I know this is low-hanging fruit, but I'm really curious to see what Bill Norton can do. 
I, I think we see so much, you know, uh, um, John Wilner, Pac-12 Hotline in the Star this week had his 15 top newcomers in the conference, Bill Norton on the list. And it's not, wow. It, and it, it's because we don't know what this former high level recruit at Georgia can do because he never really saw the field in, in any great, you know, but it's Georgia. That's a completely different hemisphere of football. It's like and being so, the sixth string receiver at Alabama. Right. Like Gino I mean, Waddle and Ruggs and all those guys. Which means the guy, when you look at a country of 120-something FBS teams, could still be pretty darn good. So I'm, I'm curious to see how someone like that um, shakes out without a ton of game experience over the last couple of years, but probably hungry for it, too. I'm tempted to say, you know, Tetaro and McMillan's coming out party, because I think this whole season is going to be that. Like, I think he's going to be awesome. Here's a, here's a hot take for you. Um uh, preseason second team All American Jacob Cowling might not be the best receiver on his own team. Might not when all said and done. I'll he, say it, he is not, okay. and he's still maybe a second team All American. Yeah. I I just think T Max upside is that great, but I'm gonna and I'm they're gonna, different too. They're very different yeah. players, yes. And this is meant as no disrespect whatsoever right. to Jacob Cowling. He is an excellent player. He is an NFL player. He is a potential All American. I just think T Mac. T-Mac has the size, the total package, and I think he's really going to come into his own. But but I'm going to say for this game, the offensive line. If you look at that last NAU game, they had 106 net yards rushing, hmm. which is, I mean, you, you take sacks into consideration and all of that stuff. The previous game against NAU, they had 431 yards rushing. Yes. So if you cannot dominate the line of scrimmage against a mid-level, you know, big sky team, then you're offensive line is not all that it was cracked up to be. So that's what I want to see. I want to see them come out, dominate the line of scrimmage, multiple hundred yard rushers, and kind of, you know, like the Rich Rod days, get up in that 400, 500 yard rushing range. Defense? Um, You know, uh, good against the run. Can they get to the quarterback? That's something we haven't talked about that that much, right? Like who's going to be, who are those edge guys who are going to win? on a regular basis and get to the QB. We talked all about the big 300 pounders in the middle, all of that stuff. Who's coming up? Who's getting to the quarterback? I mean, in 2014, the last year that Arizona was really good at football, they had Scooby Wright, who uh, he never found a niche in the NFL, weirdly enough, but man, he could get in the backfield and be a disruptive force. Do they have a guy like that? You know, when Colin Schooler was here, he did that a lot. Maybe it's Jacob Manu. I think it's Jacob Manu. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's that guy. I mean, he certainly doesn't fit the mold of a like 6'5", 250-pound edge rusher that maybe Isaiah Ward will be someday. But, man, the dude has a knack. He has a knack for getting to the ball and disrupting plays. So maybe he's that guy. We were talk- You were talking about the thud earlier in, in preseason camp and the stoppage of you know contact and stuff and how – so we don't really know. But does this defensive line benefit – from going up, and and I'm guessing the answer is not really, but think of it like, you know, I can say this because Lev and I play play old man softball together, you know, think of it like a donut on a bat for baseball, you know, like, do they get the value of the donut on the bat, the defensive line does, because they're going up against an offensive line that belie- is believed to be elite in in preseason camp, or is the thud factor make it a non-issue? Meaning, does that defensive line come out hotter, faster, more fight against an NAU in game one because they've just spent a month and a half going up against a presumably elite offensive line every day. Yeah, I think the I think the latter, yeah. No, I think they will have an advantage. Not only that, but those guys are going to be really eager to just hit yeah. somebody 
other than their own under the, other than their own guys. Um, I think that um, the depth that we talked about is going to be advantageous, and also the weather down here, like practicing and I mean, it's super. Those training camp practices were really hot, and we were standing in the really? shade most of the time. Um, those and so just the conditioning, the, the element conditioning element. That, I think yeah. it's ex- it's really extraordinary when you watch them at the end of practice, like doing those sprints, and they're it's like they're fine. I'm sure they're tired, but they don't show it. Um, I think that's really going to come through, and I think it'll really help them next week too when they play in a little bit more you know humidity uh, in the southeast. I know it's a 6:30 p.m. Central kickoff, but still, I don't think they'll be phased as much as some other schools might be. All right, before we get to Arizona NEU predictions for a Saturday night. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Pac-12 pick'ems. Lev, take it away. Yeah, all right. Um, well, we'll see if um, Brett can carry on the tradition of the uh, the sports editor coming in here and dominating us, Kicking our us teasers. so-called experts, um, as Ryan Finley, uh, our Brett's predecessor, did a year ago. So we're recording this on Thursday morning, and we have a Thursday game on the slate. We have two Thursday games. We're only going to pick a one of them. We have eight games in total this week. It's the big one, maybe the biggest game. Uh, well, maybe not the biggest game, but one of the handful of biggest games of the weekend. Utah is hosting Florida. Uh, Florida is venturing outside of the state of Florida for a non-conference game for like for the first time since literally before Justin was born, I believe. <laughs> Um, no joke. No joke. Ninety-five. Uh, Utah's at home. They are favored by five points. Uh, this is a uh, this is a five p.m. Thursday kickoff on ESPN. Um, so you know, by the time you listen to this, the game might be over, and you'll see how smart or stupid we are. Uh, doesn't look like Cam Rising's going to play. Okay, so that's probably the biggest sort of X factor in this game. Uh, Justin, I'll throw it to you. Utes are favored by five over the Gators at Rice Cycles. What you got? This is tough, man. No Cam Rising, and I, I think Utah is the most disrespected uh, reigning conference champion the the Pac-12 has ever seen. I'm over here nodding. I yes. mean, this man is I – mean, Utah is – they are consistently good year in and year out under Kyle Winningham, and yet I feel like no one is respecting them at all. I mean, you talk about USC, Washington. I mean, heck, people – I feel like more people are talking about Oregon State than Utah uh, winning the, the conference. So, I mean, I, I think Utah's getting disrespected early on, but no Cam Rising. I know that, you know, you're, you're playing at home. Ah. I'm going to go with Florida pulling off the win on the road. Oh. Yep. Wow. Give me okay. the Gators. Yeah. Okay. Brett. I'm going to disrespect Utah. Even if Rising was playing, I got Florida pulling off the win. Maybe I'm really? drink, drinking too much of that Urban Meyer uh, Swamp Kings Kool-Aid from the past couple of weeks. <laughs> but no, I uh, I think Utah's good. I think they are uh, under-respected, for lack of a better word. But um, but I, I, I think this is a tight one no matter what. I'm going to take Florida, especially with Rising out. Yeah, I've been going back and forth on this one um, because of the rising factor. We also don't know how healthy Brant Keithy is going to be, the, the star tight end who missed most of last season because of injury. However, the game is in Utah, and that is a really difficult place for anybody to play, uh, let alone an SEC team that is not used to traveling outside of its comfort zone. It is in September, though. Um, it'll be hot. Maybe I don't know if that's good or bad. Maybe it would be better if it was cold for the Utes. Uh, you also have Graham Mertz as the starting quarterback for Florida. We've kind of seen that act when he was at Wisconsin. Kind of struggled a bit. And, you know, our guy, 
Bryson Barnes. Remember him? Came in, had to play in the Rose Bowl when Cam Rising got hurt. He's going to get the call here. Um, I like to call him the Witter Soldier. So Bucky Barnes, right, (laughs) is the Winter Soldier. Bryson Barnes, Kyle Whittingham. Anyway, X that out to the world. Yeah, but um, bump. <laughs> or so, X that out of my yeah. brain. One of the two. No, so, and, and plus the fact that you guys are going with Florida, I'm going to take Utah to win and cover in this one. All right. All right. All right. So we move on to Friday. We've got Stanford at Hawaii. This is an 8 o'clock kickoff for us here uh, in Arizona. That game is on CBS Sports Network. Hawaii actually played last week and played well uh, against Vanderbilt on the road. They did not win, but they were they were right there. This is uh, Stanford's first game of the season. And Stanford is favored in this game, heading out to the islands, by a field goal. Brett, we'll start with you. I first think, game for Troy Taylor and the Cardinal. I think Stanford think? wins and covers, but very close. I think it's I think it's less than a touchdown, but more than a field goal. This is a this is a tough one. And you know, they're playing in Honolulu, and I, I forgot who it was that I, ha- I recently had on the show. I think it was Barrett Baker, who was a, a part of the uh, 1998 Holiday Bowl team, which this year marks 25 years of, of that team. Uh, arguably the greatest team in Arizona football history. Uh, I'd probably say number two is the 1993 team, but I digress. Uh, Barrett said that playing in Hawaii is very distracting with all the elements. I mean, just playing in Hawaii is just a, a really cool thing. Um, so maybe, and we saw that a, a few years ago with with Arizona. We thought that they were going to go in and, and beat Hawaii, and they fell half a yard short of, of pulling off a miraculous uh, kind of walk-off touchdown there. So I think Stanford, they're in rebuild mode right now. I think they're going to be the doormat of the Pac-12. Um, I think the Wildcats in a few weeks are actually going to go on the road and kind of dominate Stanford. Um, so I'm going to go with Hawaii to win at home. Give me the Rainbow Warriors. I'm going with Justin on this one. This is my kind of upset special of the week. Now, coaches say all the coaches media, they say all the time, you make your biggest improvement from week one to week two. Is that really true? I don't know, but let's test that theory out. Look at um, BYU and San Diego State in Jed Fish's first year. From week one to week two. They they had a really good fight against BYU and they got killed by San Diego State. Oh, so maybe that theory is a bunch yeah. of bunk. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Let's see what happens with Hawaii. I think uh, they played really well, as mentioned, at Vanderbilt in a game that was delayed. Um, that also, I mean, their stadium situation over there is really weird. I guess Hawaii can relate to that. Did you see that their their, their scoreboard was like on risers over oh, there at and, Vanderbilt and because and they're building? Yeah, they, they, they got it. They've got a new scoreboard at the uh, T.C. Ching Athletic Complex in the the essential. I don't want to be rude about it, but the high school size stadium in Honolulu that, yeah. that Hawaii's playing in. It's the old seventy five foot scoreboard from the Aloha Stadium. They moved it over wow. this summer, and uh, and reinstalled it. And they're going to be there till twenty twenty seven. Oh my! And uh, it's yeah. Stanford Stanford is going to be very excited to go home to their beautifully configured Stanford Stadium that doesn't have a ton of charm but is a good place to watch a football I'm, game. I'm, yeah, I'm taking the Rainbow Warriors to win this game uh, outright. Um, is Stanford any good? I mean, if you look at the, the 247 talent composite, they're kind of better than you think. But they really struggled last year. New coach. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be because they haven't announced it. Um, whoever that player is, is going to be making his first career start in college, um, in a, in a weird kind of setting. So I'm, I'm going with Hawaii on that one. All right. So now we shift to a big slate on Saturday. 
Yeah. Uh, and we have big noon kickoff on Fox. That's nine o'clock our time. And that is Colorado with Deion, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders going to TCU. Big the 12 national, of the yep, week. Yep. The national, <laughs> the national runner up from a year ago. Uh, that is the big noon game on Fox. We have TCU favored by 20 and a half points, which is a weird number um, over the Buffaloes. Justin, we'll start with you. This is tough because Max Duggan and all those great wide receivers that they had last year are no longer with the Horned Frogs. So this is definitely, I would say, a rebuilding year for Sonny Dykes and the Hypnotoads. So I'm going to go with TCU to win, but I'm going Colorado to cover. I got TCU winning by about 17 points, maybe a couple of touchdowns. I have exactly the same, but I can't imagine. So yeah, TCU to win, Colorado to cover, but I cannot fathom how all of our collective minds in the college football scape are going to explode if somehow coach prime and Colorado pull this off and win this game. Yeah. Like it's already too much and it's going to be way too much. But, uh, but I still think, yeah, I think Colorado puts up a bigger fight than three touchdowns, but I think TCU wins. Yeah. As mentioned before, I mean, this is, it's an experiment. It's not like anything that we've seen uh, in college football. Um, so I heard someone on a, on a podcast, um, compare this to like an expansion team in a way you know where like you had the expansion draft and like everyone on your entire team is new but even even usually in those situations you have some kind of track record um with uh with the players that you've brought in a lot of these guys on colorado we don't know even the guys that we think are really good they only played you know at the at a lower level at jackson state like shador sanders and travis hunter who are you know believed to be really good college football players in the case of travis hunter you know legit like nfl prospect um so just to be different from you guys and maybe this is going to be my sort of theme for the season i'm going to take tcu to win and cover i mean i could see them winning kind of you know maybe being close for a while pulling away at the end i know this is a a weird and difficult situation for them um but i think there's you know you talked about utah before getting no respect or what no one's talking about tcu in this game Mm -hmm. At all, right? All the attention, all the focus is on Deion Sanders. And meanwhile, Sonny Dykes is probably over there like, uh, hey, we made it to the national championship game last year. Hello. Yeah. You know? So uh, I'm going to take TCU to win and cover, even though that number, that's a big number. Yeah. And I don't, I don't love it. And I feel, I don't feel super confident in it, but that's the direction I'm going to go. All right. So our, our next game is Boise State at Washington. Ooh. That game's at 12.30 on Saturday. Uh, it's on ABC, and the Huskies are are playing uh, in Seattle and favored by two touchdowns, 14-point favorites. Brett, we'll throw it to you. I think Boise State's better than we think, and I think Washington is still really good. So I'm, I'm going to say Washington wins but does not cover, or Boise State covers, I should say. And... I'm rolling with Brett because Boise State, I mean, I get it. Washington has the, the arguably the best offense in the Pac-12, right, with Michael Penix and those great receivers that they have and McMillan and Odunze. But, I mean, they also, they're also great on defense too. Like Washington's a really good team. But Boise State, they're predicted to uh, win the Mountain West this year. Andy Avalos and the Broncos are projected to have a really good season this year, at least in the eyes of uh, media in the Mountain West. So, I think Boise State's a good team. I think they go into Seattle and they put up a decent fight, but Washington outlasts them. 
So I got the Huskies by 10 points. Yeah, I I sort of feel like, again, you, you can play the disrespect card here a little bit. Like whenever Boise State plays against Oregon or Washington, sort of somewhat similar to when Oregon State or Washington State play against those, those schools, it's kind of like, hey, we're really good too. What about us? When, why aren't we getting um, the shine that, that those the big boy programs get? Um, there was a lot of heat on Andy Avalos uh, for a little while there, but they kind of turned the corner. A little bit last season, right? Um, they started out two and two, and they ended up ten and four, um, and uh, they ended up, you know, that's a pretty good year. Um, and maybe it's not up to the standards that Boise State fans are used to, and I don't, I don't know if they'll they'll ever really um, be able to recapture the, those glory years on a consistent basis, especially if Oregon State and Washington State enter the conference. I do love this Washington team. Um, I think they're loaded. Um, I think when all said and done, they might be the team that comes out on top uh, in the Pac-12, even over um, that explosive USC team. I think I'm going to go with you guys uh, on this one and say that Boise's able to keep it close, and you know, Washington wins, you know, somewhat comfortably, 40 to 30, something like that. But Boise's able to cover the 14 points. All right. So moving on from that one, uh, we have Cal going to North Texas. Weird destination for a for a Pac-12 school still a Pac-12 school uh, as we record this podcast Um, that game is on ESPNU Um, difficult times for the Cal athletic program in a lot of ways sort of struggling for survival football hasn't been super successful I think a lot of us do like like and respect Justin Wilcox and realize that he's you know he's swimming upstream a lot with that particular job uh, the Golden Bears are favored by six and a half points at North Texas, which is now a member of the AAC, mm-hmm. one of several new members of the AAC. Justin, we'll start with you on this unusual but fun non-conference matchup. Give me Justin Wilcox and the Cal Golden Bears to go on the road and beat North Texas and cover. Um, I got them winning by eh, about 10 points. Uh, Eric Morris, I believe, is in his first year as head coach at North Texas, the former Washington State offensive coordinator. I mean, I know he's been a head coach before. I think he was a head coach at Incarnate Word before he went over to Washington State. Uh, so this is the first game for Eric Morris as head coach. Uh, with that being said, I still think they go through maybe some growing pains in North Texas. So give me the Cal Golden Bears to win and cover on the road. I don't know what North Texas was thinking, by the way. They saw, you know, moving on from Seth Luttrell. Takes him to, what, six bowl games in however many years he was there. And decided that a seven and seven record last year wasn't enough, but I think that's part of it. They're a better team, probably on paper, than I'm going to give them credit for, North Texas. But I think the rebuild and starting over in that circumstance, and I don't know enough to be honest about the roster turnover there. But yeah. I think Cal go. I agree with Justin. I think Cal goes and wins and covers. Um, I just I don't think North Texas is going to be able to put up much of a fight. Yeah, this this is a tough one. Uh, because Cal like, on offense just hasn't been that great under Justin Wilcox, with the with the exception, of course, of the Arizona game last year, where uh, Jade Knott just ran wild and Arizona couldn't tackle anybody. Um, yeah, a lot of regrets about that game if you're if you're the Wildcats, because it it ended up being the difference between them going to a bowl game and not yep. uh, going to a bowl game. Uh, six and a half points. Is that enough for me to take North Texas in this one? No, I don't think so. I'm going to take Cal. I think it, it'll be kind of a, a rough and tumble, ugly game in a way, but Justin Wilcox wins a lot of those games. He likes that. 
yeah, I think he likes that. So I could easily see this ending up, you know, 21 to 14, 21 to 13, 24 to 17, any of those combinations, and you're covering the six and a half. So I'm going to take the Golden Bears as well. All right. So uh, moving on, we had a 4 p.m. game here. Again, CBS Sports Network. This is Washington State at Colorado State. Uh, and the Cougars are favored by 10 and a half on the road in this one, which feels like a lot. Brett, we'll start with you. Cougars win and cover. Colorado uh, State is not is not in this one to me. Okay. I think uh, Jay Norvell, still our guy, a guy who wears a, like a mechanic shirt to practice every single day because he wants his guys to be blue collar and and hard nosed and and so I think that the fighting Jay Norvells put up a great fight, and we just talked about Eric Morris is no longer at Washington State, so uh, Cameron Ward he doesn't really have his his pacifier anymore as a coach because they they've worked together this entire time, so maybe there's a you know a little bit of a drop off in the first game for Cameron Ward, so I'm gonna go with Washington State to win, but. I got Colorado State covering. Yeah, I'm going to go with Justin on this one. I, I like Jay Norvell. Um, I think he's a really good coach. Things were rough in year one, um, no question about it. But I think they'll they'll make a big leap here in year two. And 10.5 is just too much for me. I think Washington State is a good you know, middle-of-the-pack team. I think they might be a little bit overrated. Transitioning to a new offensive coordinator who I believe is 27 years old which is younger than Me. Justin Spears. So we've, yeah. we've crossed that threshold here. Uh, so I'm going to go with the same. I think Washington State's going to eke it out. Um, we have seen them you know, do well on the road. They won at Wisconsin last year, but I think it's going to be difficult because I think Colorado State's going to put up a really good fight. Um, so I'm going to go Washington State to win, but Colorado State to cover the 10.5 points. Okay, so our last game of Saturday is Coastal Carolina, Chanticleers, going out to UCLA. Uh, this game is on ESPN at the Rose Bowl. Uh, it is the Pac-12 after dark window, 7.30 p.m. And the Bruins, who are um, starting the post-Dorian Thompson-Robinson era by playing three quarterbacks, supposedly, in their opener, are favored by 14.5 points uh, over Coastal, which also is going through a transition with a new head coach. Justin, we'll start with you on this one. Give me UCLA to win. What did you say? It was 14, 14 and, and a half. half. Yeah. Oh, man. This is going to be tough. Bruno Fina, Tucson native, by the way, is going to start at left tackle for the Bruins. Oh, nice. Uh, they released their depth chart, uh, I think, yesterday. and We're, we're pro was... depth chart around here. Yeah, by the way. We, we definitely. In like case anyone's charts. listening. Yeah. But Bruno Fina is expected to start at left tackle, which is pretty significant because. Pops John Fina was a starting tackle here at yeah. the University of Arizona mm-hmm. and is arguably the greatest U of A offensive lineman of all time. Um, so I'm, I'm really going to be curious to see how he does in his first start. Uh, with that being said, um, is Coastal Carolina the Coastal Carolina from a couple of years ago? I don't think so. So give me the Bruins to win and cover. Brett, 14 and a half. Bruins win, don't cover. Don't cover. Okay. All right. That yeah, that that point five makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. When uh, when it comes to these things. All right. I like going against the flow there. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with UCLA to win and cover in this one. I don't love uh, this idea of you know having uncertainty at quarterback. 
Um, but I think they're going to dominate this game in the trenches on both sides. I think their UCLA's defense might be really, really good this year, especially their front. They brought pretty much everyone back uh, as far as their edge rushers uh, go. Um, and I think that's going to be a huge factor. And I think Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly runs the football, yeah. regardless of who's a quarterback. So I'm going to take the Bruins in this one to win and cover. All right, our last game of the week before we – Double back to Arizona and NAU. It's a Sunday game, okay? It's a 12-30 game on Big CBS, live from San Jose State, where the Oregon State Beavers are headed. And Oregon State, uh, you know, the the, uh, the team that kind of has a chance to become America's team this year, uh, the team that's left out of the uh, uh, realignment merry-go-round, um, they're ranked heading into the season. They're coming off 10 wins. They have a new quarterback with DJ Youngalale. Uh, they have a really good coach in Jonathan Smith. They are favored by 16 and a half points on the road against a San Jose State team that played last week and put up a pretty good fight against UCLA. So those are all the factors mm-hmm. out there. Brett, we'll start with you on this one. I feel I feel very similar to the last game. I think I think Oregon State wins. San Jose State covers. I I think San Jose State, especially for the first half of that game against SC, played way better than anyone could have predicted. Yes, it was getting cobwebs out and getting back and going for the Trojans, but uh, I I think Oregon State's going to be good all year. But I don't think that means they're necessarily going to roll to a you know sixty to twenty win in week one. Uh, still, it still blows my mind, even with a transfer from Clemson at quarterback, that you got a you got a quarterback on your roster that was won nine of your ten games, and he's your backup this year. Mm-hmm. He won ten games last year, nine of them by a guy that returned, and he's now their backup. So that depth, everything is going to be big. But San Jose State, San Jose State covers. Oregon State wins. And here's the thing, though, I don't think DJU is going to be going into this game slinging the ball around because Oregon State has one of the best rushing attacks in the Pac-12. Uh, they have a couple of all Pac-12 uh, preseason offensive linemen. They also have uh, Damian Martinez, their great running back, who's coming back uh, this season. So honestly, I really think that Oregon State is just going to just run the hell out of the football and just kind of impose their will on San Jose State. Um, so I'm actually going to go – I'm going to throw a Hail Mary here before we get to this Arizona game. And I'm going to go with Oregon State to win and cover against the Spartans. Nice. I like it. But I'm going with Brett on this one. Uh, I think that San Jose State is a well-coached team, a good offense, good quarterback. Is DJ Youngalale a good quarterback? I I don't know. I mean, he struggled so much toward the end of his time uh, at Clemson. I mean, maybe just getting away from the spotlight, going up to the Northwest, not a lot of pressure, not a lot of media coverage. You know, having a kind of a QB guru in Jonathan Smith, maybe all that stuff will unlock the talent that we saw in DJ when he won that game. I think he was a true freshman, uh, you know, won that game at Notre Dame. Um, but I don't know. It's too, it's too much of a mystery to me. Um, I Again, I'm going to go with my theory about team playing the second time versus a team playing the first time. The team playing that second game gets a little bit, a bit of a bump, so... I say OSU wins the game, but San Jose State uh, keeps it close and covers that 16 and a half. All right. Oh, I already said Oregon State winning the cover. Yeah. Are we going to the Arizona? Yeah, let's go. Okay. All right. Arizona versus NEU. We don't have a spread for this game because it's an FCS opponent. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and just say Arizona is going to win on Saturday. 
I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, of course, we said it was a no-brainer in 2021, and then certain things happened. But uh, to me, I, I don't think that this is – this should be a contest. I think Arizona should go out and just run the hell out of the football. They have a great running back, Michael Wiley, who had 214 yards against ASU last season. He's back, and oh, by the way, he's got a better offensive line. DJ Williams is also back in the fold. You have Jonah Coleman, um, who's such a smooth yet powerful runner. And then Speedy Luke, you know, how are they going to be able to utilize him in the rotation on Saturday? I'm curious to find out. But uh, the defense, I, I don't think, is going to really have any issues with the Lumberjacks. I mean, NEU was voted to finish ninth in the Big Sky. Like, they're in the bottom half of their own conference at the FCS level. Meanwhile, Arizona, they're expected to, hey, maybe they can win seven or eight games. So this this is not a contest. I'm not going to waste any more of my time talking about it. Arizona wins and covers. <laughs> so guys, if there was a spread. So so you guys want to know what the coolest part about being the sports editor of the star is? What? You get to you get to make the decisions of what goes on the cover. There's a reason I put Michael Wiley on the cover of our football edition. I think Michael Wiley, as deep as that running back core is, is the guy for me this year. As good as the wide receivers are, as good as Dolores at quarterback on offense, I think Michael Wiley has a breakout. And I think it starts with if he gets enough carries and enough time, it starts with a big day. I remember, I think I, I might get the I might get wrong which era it was, but it was like a Nick Wilson kind of era. It might have been that 400 yard rushing game, a couple you know that you talked about the last time Arizona played in a. I don't know if it was Nick Wilson or who it was, but it, but you know, couple couple big 50 to 70 yard runs, things like that. I think Michael Wiley is going to go off, and I think all the running backs will. So I'm agreeing with you entirely, Justin. I think they're going to win going away, a lot on the ground. Um, and the best part about that is it's going to build the confidence for Delora because he's not going to be forced to sling it too much that he turns the ball over. So he's going to have a clean game himself. Yeah. In that game against uh, NAU in 2019, when they had 432 rushing yards, JJ. JJ Taylor, yeah. he could, this is the kind of game Michael Wiley easy, easily could have. 10 carries, 102 yeah. yards, and a touchdown. Gary Brightwell had five carries, 141 yards, and a touchdown. Bam Smith had eight carries, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Michael Wiley actually played in that game. He had nine carries for 39 yards. Nathan Tilford nice. had six carries for Legend. 40 yards. Nazar Bombato was on that team. He's still around. He had two carries in that game for 12. Um, Khalil Tate played. Grant Gannell played. Uh, different different times. Time yeah, <laughs> different yeah. times. Different times, same kind of result. That game was 65 to 41. I think if, if NAU scores 41 points in this game on Saturday, that that's going to set off some alarms. I'm actually on the record with a score because I predicted every game uh, of the season. I reserve the right to change my mind on any of those scores from this point forward, but I'll go with what I had um, in that in that piece, and I have Arizona winning 56 to 17. I'll go 45-14. All right, you got a score for us, Brett? I'm going to go 51-17. All right. And with that being said, that will wrap up this week's pregame episode of the Wildcast podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment the Wildcast wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, be sure to check out all of our coverage of Arizona NEU, which kicks off at 7 o'clock on Tucson.com and the Wildcaster app.